0: So uh, 15 years ago, I had a friend who was a little bit older than me, and uh, you know, we're talking about parenting, we're talking about fatherhood, and and he started sharing some stuff about fatherhood. And I grew up, my dad died when I was young, so I was like soaking it up. I'm like, I want to learn how to be a good dad. And, And one of the things my friend was talking about is he was talking about how you teach your boys to become godly men. And he said, one of the things you've got to do is, is you teach your men how to be, teach your boys how to be the man of the house. And I was like, wow, and I'm just soaking this up. And it just so happened that I was going to be going out of town in a couple of days. And so I'm like, this is brilliant. Now, I don't think my son remembers this day, but I remember that night where I sat down with my son at bedtime. And I'm like, this is my opportunity. This is my opportunity to tell him, this is what it means to be a man of the house. This is the significant things. And so I gave my son some instructions. I said, as man of the house, I said, you are the protector. It means you've got to be brave, which means when somebody in the house sees a spider, you are the official spider killer. Go take care of that thing. As, as protector, you've got to make sure that the doors are locked at night. That is your responsibility as man of the house. And then I said, as, as man of the house part of that job is you've got to lead spiritually so it means when your younger siblings are ready for bed you've got to make sure you pull out the devotional and read a devotion with them you've got to make sure you pray with your siblings when they go to bed that is what it means to be man of the house and i said man of the house means that you are a servant that means that you've got to help out with chores without being asked and all the parents said amen right And I'm like, this means, like, as a servant, you've got to figure out how to make life easier for mom. So you see her doing something, you're like, hey, I can do that. Go make life easier for your mom. Go find ways to serve your siblings. And finally, I said, being man of the house means you are to lead in love. I said, if I'm gone for a couple days, mom needs a lot of hugs, a lot of kisses, and multiple times throughout the day, she needs to hear, I love you. Again, they probably don't remember this, but this to me was important. This was me trying to say, hey, if you're going to be man of the house, this is what it looks like. It's funny how times change because nowadays when I go out of town, I usually I, I get to wherever I'm going, I'm like, oh crap, I forgot, and I start text messaging to the kids, hey, don't forget to do this, help out with this, and, and that sort of thing. But I think we could all agree that providing clear instructions... Providing clear instructions is beneficial for all who are going to do whatever you ask them to do. Clear instructions are important. But what happens when you don't have clear instructions? Sometimes when we don't have clear, and destru- clear instructions, it leads us to be confused about what we're supposed to do. In World War II, uh, 1940s, uh, there, the U.S. shipping board decided that they were going to build an ocean liner that was going to be uh, bigger and faster than anything the U.S. had ever built at a staggering cost of $78 million. And the purpose of building this ship was they were going to use it to send troops across the sea to, to war. They could send up to 10,000 troops at one time, which was a big deal. This was a big deal. And so they get about building the ship, and, and of course, as you imagine building a ship, there's some you know, delays and some things happen. And the ship was finished and set sail in 1952. And the ship, it set, Sam's, it set records for the fastest transatlantic crossing ever. But the problem was, it never, ever carried troops. When it was, when it was set sail, it catered to luxury uh, patrons. And the ship did this for a number of years, and then the ship was sold uh, in 1969, and it passed through the hands of a number of different owners who were all kind of like, what are we supposed to do with this ship? It was it was built for this specific purpose. It's designed for that, but it's not really being used for that purpose. In fact, this ship is now since 1996 and it it's docked up Pier 82 in Philadelphia as a popular tourist attraction. You think about that ship. Somewhere along the line, it missed its purpose. It wasn't supposed to be a luxury liner. It wasn't supposed to be a tourist attraction. It was made for a specific purpose. And somewhere along the line, they got distracted. And no longer was it accomplishing what it was built to do. Question is how does that relate to the church? What is the purpose of the church? Are we as a church? Is the church fulfilling the purpose that God has given us? We've been in this series since since May called The Story, trying to grasp the meta-narrative of the Bible to see how the Bible, there's a bunch of different characters, there's a bunch of different books, but they're all one big story, pointing to what Jesus did on the cross for us. And as we've come through this story, as we've come through this series, we've come through the climax last week where we saw Jesus die on the cross and rise from the grave and now we begin to look at everything that comes afterwards is in response to what Jesus did on the cross. And so today, the text that J- Jake read for us is, is huge. Because again, Jesus has already risen from the grave. He's preparing, he's going to prepare a place for us. Doesn't that sound pretty good? He's going to prepare a place for us. But his mission, remember his mission? His mission was to restore us, restore humanity into a right relationship with God. His mission was to heal the brokenness that has separated us from God, to to heal what's gone wrong in our heart. Jesus is like, this is great. I've done the heavy lifting. I've accomplished the cross. And now as he's getting ready to return to the Father, the question is, who's going to carry on his mission? Who's going to continue his mission of leading humanity into a right relationship with God? Who's going to tell humanity how to fix what's gone wrong in our heart? And so this is where Jesus turns to his disciples. And what Jake read for this morning is really the beginning of the church. And Jesus is going to turn to these disciples to the beginning of the church. He's going to give them the reins. He's going to give them the baton towards his mission. And I love this because he's so clear with his instructions. Church, this is what you're called to do, to make disciples throughout the world. we're going to jump in text starts out in verse 16 Matthew 28 16 and it says now the 11 disciples they went to Galilee to the mountain which Jesus had directed them and when they saw him they worshipped now I read that and I'm like I expect that like don't you expect that Like, like 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 here's Jesus he is Emmanuel he is God in the flesh God with us He's went to the cross. He's died in our place. He rose from the grave, conquering sin and Satan and the curse and death and hell. He's done all that. And he walks up like this is a dead man walking. Like, of course, I expect the disciples to drop down to their knees and worship. This is God in the flesh. This is the resurrected Savior. I expect them to drop to their knees and worship. I get that. But what I find a little bit more confusing is the very next phrase. Verse 17, it says, When they saw him, they worshipped, but some doubted. I wasn't expecting that. I'm a little surprised to see that. You know, when we teach Scripture, one of the things I always try and point out is little things like this. Because if the Bible was made up, if the Bible was fiction, there's no way that the second part of verse 17 is in the Bible, right? If the Bible is fiction, then these disciples, like they're on fire for God, they're ready to charge the gates of hell with a spork. Like, we got such strong faith and trust in God, like we'll do anything for him. If it's fiction, there's no way that the Bible says that they see the resurrected Jesus yet they doubted. This is why I love the Bible. This is why I can trust the Bible to be true because it is honest. We see these Bible heroes. We see all the great things they do, but we also see their faults, their struggles, their warts. We see their messy closets. We see it all. And I don't know about you, but that encourages me because as much as I want to stand up and project to everybody how great I am, as much as I want people to think, hey, look at Pastor Kevin. He's got it all figured out. He's so godly. I want to be like him if I'm being honest man, I don't have it all together. I've got my own struggles. I've got my own issues. At times, I struggle with doubt. And this is why I love the Bible, because it's not fake. It's not phony. It's real. It's a story of everyone else in this room. In fact, if I would ask you to be honest, if I would ask you to be honest, how many of you would say, man, I've I've struggled with doubt at certain times. I've doubted, do I really believe that God came down and became one of us? Do I really believe that Jesus died on the cross and and rose from the grave? Do I really believe that God is interested in me and what's happening in my life and in my world? Am I really willing to go and do all that God tells me to do? Man, it's okay for us to have a little bit of doubt. Here's the disciples struggling with doubt. And if they struggle with that, don't you think it's okay for us at times to struggle? Because again, here's here's the picture. Jesus is ready to pass a baton on for his mission. His mission is significant. Would you not agree? His mission has the future of humanity on it. He's ready to pass a baton. And who does he pass a baton on to? To those that have it all together? No, he passes it on to these disciples who are weak, who are fallible, who are sinful, who are struggling with doubt. And these are the people that God uses to turn the world upside down. Man, I love the Bible. I love the truthfulness of it. And as Jesus is getting ready to send these guys out on mission, to to start the church to say, go and accomplish this mission he gives them three, three things, a little message as they get ready to go turn the world upside down. The first thing he gives them, he gives them a declaration of authority. He reminds them, guys, I'm in control. This is what he said in verse 18. Jesus came and he said to them, all authority on heaven and earth has been given to me. That's a pretty bold statement, Right? You know, when a, man, when a man is in his home and he has to announce to his family and to his wife, I'm the man of the house, usually a man announces that because they haven't earned it, right? There's been something in his life that they haven't quite earned it, so he has to tell everybody. Jesus here is a little bit different. Jesus here is just a little bit different. Again, Jesus is preparing to, give, to send these disciples out on, on mission, to carry on his mission. And they're struggling with doubt and so Jesus is trying to remind them, look guys, I'm in control. I have all authority. I'm in control. As not just something I claim. It's something I've already proven to you. You see, you see before the foundation of the world, he might write this next to uh, verse 18. In Psalm chapter two, Psalm two, God the Father promised the Son. He said, when you fulfill your obligations as a sacrificial lamb, when you rescue and redeem the people of God, God said, I will place everything under your feet. And so here's Jesus. He's like, I've done my part. I died. I rose from the grave. I've done my part. And because God is a faithful promise keeper, he says, now all authority is mine. This idea of authority isn't just power. It means ownership, jurisdiction, he has a legal right. And he says, All authority in heaven, which means all authority in the spiritual realms. We're talking Satan, we're talking demons, we're talking angels. Jesus says, All of that authority is mine. And not only that, all authority on the earth, which is every nation, every tribe, every tongue. Jesus is telling these disciples, Listen, I'm the sovereign Lord, I'm the ruler. I'm Lord over everything. I'm in control. I'm in charge. I'm the guy. And I think about the encouragement to these disciples. who are about to become the foundation of a worldwide movement. They're going to lead this worldwide movement who's going to cause millions of people to drop to their knees and worship the King of kings and Lord of lords. And here's encouragement to them. Guys, I'm in control. You can trust me. You can trust me. I've got this because I have all authority. The first thing he does, he gives them this declaration of authority. The second thing he does, he gives them a command to make disciples. Verse 19, it says, Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. If you've been in church long, you've heard this verse. And oftentimes we focus on this idea of going. It's all about going, which is important. But I think the key verb in this text, the primary action, is actually to make disciples. These other verbs, to go, to baptize, to teach, they kind of detail how we go about making disciples. Disciples. See, the command that Jesus gives the church is to make disciples. The question then is, what is a disciple? It is, is a disciple just a Christian? Is that what it is? I mean, if you've been in church long, we talk about disciples in church. But it's not a word that you hear in the world, right? I mean, when I was typing this message this week, I start typing in, 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 in disciple, and I guess... I I, I guess uh, uh, Steve Jobs doesn't know what a disciple is because when I start writing a disciple, it automatically goes discipline. A disciple was someone who learned from a rabbi, who learned from a teacher and became like them. A disciple is somebody who would sit at the foot of a teacher, who would watch, who would listen, who would observe that teacher, and then they would imitate them. You see, a disciple is not merely somebody who learned what the teacher taught. A disciple was someone who did what the teacher did. A disciple was more than just praying a prayer. A disciple is more than just believing in God. More than just ascribing to a set of theological beliefs about salvation. A disciple is all about becoming like Jesus. you think perhaps the church, and I'm not talking just our church, I'm talking about the church, the global church, the capital C church. Do you think at times the church gets confused about our purpose, about our mission? And I'll just say, man, it's tempting as a leader in the church to focus on packing the pews, to focus on, on, on membership, to focus on, on programs. When I think this is clear. Jesus calls us, our purpose as a church, is a focus on making disciples and followers of Jesus. Again, the question is, how do we do that? How do we make disciples? Jesus gave us the answer. He's got a process. Here's his plan to make disciples. First, it involves, we've got to go. We've got to go. Listen, Jesus doesn't expect the world to come to the church. Like, do you understand that? Jesus' model for make disciples is not to build a big church and expect people to come to the church. His plan is that we as Christians go into the world. We go into the world. Part of this means we go into all nations. I mean, we're going to see very soon how, how God calls these disciples to be missionaries, to take the message of the cross all over the world. Praise God for that. But this go doesn't just mean to go across the world. It also means right here where you are. It means the people around you. I mean, God calls us to go into our neighborhood, to go into our community, to be intentional, that as we are going, as we are living life, as we are working, as we are playing, as we're going to school, as we're raising our families, as we're loving our spouse, as we go about our business, we're supposed to be investing in others. And honestly, this idea of discipleship it is probably the most effective when we realize discipleship is something we do as we go about life. It is, a, it is a lifestyle. It's something that we as Christians should just be a part of what we do. And so Jesus, as he makes this plan, he says, listen, if we're going to make disciples, we've got to be intentional to go, to go across the globe as well as to the people right around us. Second thing in us plan to make disciples is we've got to baptize them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. You're like, well, how does that make disciples? Let me explain it in two different ways. See, first and foremost, we need to understand that baptism does not save you. Baptism does not mean that you've, that that, that baptism doesn't make you a Christian. Baptism, what is it? Baptism is simply a, a public declaration of faith and allegiance in Jesus. That's what baptism is. It is somebody who said, I've placed my faith in Jesus. I'm choosing to follow him, and I want everybody else to know it. So I'm going to get baptized so you know this is what I've believed and done in my heart. See, this disciple-making is not about making people religious. It's not about trying to get people to come to church. It's not about cleaning up our life. Disciple-making is about pointing people to faith in Jesus and what he has done for them, so that they would surrender their life to him. And when they do that, baptism is a response. Baptism is, hey, I've come into a relationship with Jesus. I want others to know about it. So when he says, baptize them, he's saying, I want you to go and share the gospel. I want you to tell them what I've done for them, and people should live for me. But secondly, he says, baptize them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Which means that when we baptize somebody, We baptize them into the community of God. You see, God exists within the the community of the Trinity. God exists with the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, and they're one. And in the church age, the people of God become an extension of God's community. And so when we baptize somebody in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, we are having them identify with the people of God. They're identifying with us. You see, so when Jesus says, I want you to make disciples, I want you to baptize them, he's saying, I want you to share the gospel with them, and I want you to help them to identify with the people of God, the community of God right here. His third plan to make disciples is to teach them to observe all that he has commanded. See, the key word there is observe. Observe. It's not about us trying to get people to believe in God and to believe in the Bible and to agree to certain doctrines and have a knowledge of Scripture. No, our goal of making disciples is teach people to observe and obey the things they read. This is why the disciple-making process, it's not like this single moment in time that all of a sudden somebody becomes a disciple. No, this process It's called the process of sanctification. It is an ongoing process where you are continually being changed to become more like Jesus. In fact, let me just mention this. It says to observe all that Jesus has commanded. (laughs) What are the commands that Jesus calls us to obey? You see, for us Christians, too often we look very much like the Pharisees. As Christians in the church, too often, we're just like the Pharisees, where we like to show how everybody, how spiritual I am. Look how spiritual I am. Look at all the godly things I do. Look, I've led this group. I've loved these people. Look how great I, and what do we do? We're drawing attention to ourselves, and we might, we might have some humility in it, but isn't that just humble bragging? Look how great I am. Look at all these things I've done for God. No, you see, When I look at Jesus and the way that he taught, I see him pushing back against the Pharisees, against our religion that tries to draw attention to ourselves. Now, Jesus was concerned about our heart, a heart that loved God and loved people more than themselves. And that means that we don't do these things for our own glory. We don't live our spiritual life and brag about it so other people think how great we are It's not a matter of boasting. It's all a matter of us trying to honor God. Teaching people to know the heart of God and to obey it. Listen, here's what I see. Making disciples is involved with us intentionally going. It's about us baptizing people and teaching them to obey the heart of Jesus. Now that mission is incredible, and what I'm going to say right now is, as a pastor, that mission is overwhelming. It's overwhelming. It is challenging, but I love it because the third part of Jesus' message is he finishes with a word of comfort. He reminds them, "Listen, I'm with you." Here's what he says, verse twenty. Behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. Again, he's given them this mission. And he's already encouraged them and reminded them, listen, I have authority. I'm in control. But now he offers the most comforting words that he could give. He says, me, the one with all authority, the one in control, I'm going to be with you always, even to the end of the age. We're going to see this more practically next week when we look at the Holy Spirit, how through the presence of the Holy Spirit, we have the comfort of God, the power of God, the energy of God, the fuel of God, the confidence, the conviction of God in our life for us to remain faithful to the mission that God has given us. It's through the Holy Spirit that he can uh, make this promise that he will be with us always, even to the end of the age. This passage is huge. As it it details, this is the mission of the church. This is the purpose. This is why the church exists. And I think it's so important for us to be reminded of that. Because isn't it easy for us to be distracted as to what we're called to do? Isn't it kind of like that USS uh, United States? Well, we're built for this purpose. We're built to transport troops. But pretty soon we're not doing that. Now we're doing, uh, we're just a tourist attraction. In fact, uh, there was a tour guide at Westminster Abbey. Westminster Abbey is the cathedral in London, England, beautiful place. And the tour guide was, was going around, giving a tour, boasting, boasting about the history and the architecture of the building. This tour guide was talking about all the amazing surface services that had happened there. Oh, we've had some of the most amazing services And then he started talking about all the the powerful dignitaries who come and who had worshipped in that building. All these great things that this building had been used for. And the tour guide gets done. It's like, any questions? A little old lady raises her hand. Says, that's really awesome. has Has anybody actually been saved here lately? You see, I want us as a church, I want us to know what our mission is. I want us to know why we exist. Because from the very beginning, Jesus was clear. Church, this is why you exist. The church exists to make disciples of Jesus right around us and all across the world. Listen, this is why the church exists. To make disciples of all nations. Three questions of application. Number one, are you a disciple of Jesus? Now, I'll I'll be honest, as your pastor, I'm not really worried about you guys becoming (laughs) raging atheists. I'm not really worried about that. But what I am worried about is that maybe some of you are not actually going to become an actual disciple of Jesus. Because here's the thing. I could stand up here and ask, are you a Christian? And most of us in this room would be like, well, yeah. Yeah, I'm a Christian. Yeah, I believe in God. I'm not a Muslim. Yes, I'm a Christian. But if you ask the question, are you a disciple? You feel that little hesitation? there's a difference between a Christian and a disciple because a disciple disciple means a little bit more. Disciple is someone who does not merely believe in Jesus, but doesn't merely believe in the Bible. A disciple is someone who has actually committed his life to follow Jesus. In fact, this is so significant that we understand the difference because there's a story where, where Jesus talks about a large group of people and these people come to Jesus, and they're like, hey, Jesus, didn't we do all sorts of great things for you? We went on mission trips. We, we, we led classes. We, we, we led worship. We, we memorized verses. Look at all these things we've done for you, Jesus. And what does he say? Depart from me, for I never knew you. Sure, you might have hung out at my house on the weekends, but you never gave your heart and your life to me. This is why the question is, not are you a Christian, but the question is, are you a disciple of Jesus? Are you growing more and more like him every day? Let me rephrase this. What is the thing in your life that you are holding on to? What is the thing in your life that you're not willing, ready to surrender to Jesus? Jesus. A habit, a secret sin, a relationship? What is the thing that you are holding on to that you're not willing to surrender to Him? What is a step that God has directed you to do? To go, to do, to give, to speak. That you've not yet stepped into. This is where, if we're going to be disciples, We've got to be willing to surrender those things. We've got to be willing to step into what he is calling us to do. Are you a disciple of Jesus? Second question. Who are you investing in? Who are you intentionally trying to pour into and disciple someone else? Because I'll tell you, this is where sometimes I think the church gets a little confused. Somewhere along the line, I don't know when it was, somewhere along the line, the church began to think that ministry happens with what pastors do on Sunday mornings. Somewhere along the line, we thought, we thought God's mission is accomplished through big ministries, through talented pastors and preachers who lead on Sunday mornings. Do you understand that's not God's plan? That's not God's mission for the church? God's plan was to take ordinary Christians, disciples who are weak and feeble and doubting. His plan is to take weak Christians like you and I and fill us with the Holy Spirit to enable us to make disciples as we go through life. Listen, Scripture is absolutely clear on this idea the mission of God happens, discipleship happens from us in this room, and not just from those on the platform. Titus chapter 2 says the older women are to train the younger women. Second Timothy chapter 2, Paul tells Timothy to train faithful men in the congregation who then can train other men. Ephesians 5 says, fathers, you are to train your children in the ways of God. Hebrews 3 says, all Christians are to exhort one another and build one another up every day. Peter and Paul, throughout their letters, commands Christians to use their gifts and their talents to build others up and to serve other disciples, other Christians. Do you get this idea? Listen, disciple, disciple-making it's not, an, 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 a, it's not a program of the church. Disciple-making is not an outreach of the church. It is a lifestyle of Christians. Going and seeking to invest those around them. In fact, I think about my own life. I think about the men who have discipled me, the men who have made a difference in my life. I think about Parish Plumley. Think about Jack Peters. Think about Jason Williams. You know, all those guys were preachers. But I can't tell you, I can't quote a single one of their sermons. But you know what I can tell you about? I can tell you about the times when I was struggling and they showed up. Tell you about the time when I was struggling with sin and they showed up and said, hey, let's walk through this together. I can tell you about how they taught me how to read Scripture and teach Scripture. I can tell you about how they helped me figure out how to love my wife and how to, how to be a good dad, a godly dad. That is what discipleship is. So who are you investing in? Who are you discipling and pouring your life into? It, we don't have to make it difficult. And I think at the church, we make it, it's got to be a program. It's got to, you know, if I'm going to disciple somebody, I have to have all the answers figured out. You know, I need, to, I need to know the four spiritual laws, and I need to have all this. No, let's not make it difficult. What does the military say? It's the KISS method. Keep it simple, stupid. Which means you just find somebody, and you're like, hey, let's go get coffee. Let's read Scripture together, and I'll show you how I study Scripture and, and, and how I glean from Scripture. Which means you, you meet somebody and say, hey, let me, let me help you figure out parenthood. Let me help you learn how to put some rhythms to, to, tra- to, to raise your child to, to know the Lord. Which means you say, hey, let me, let me help you learn how to love your spouse. Let's go to lunch and let me, let me teach you how I've carried on my career And keeping my Christian morals. Who are you investing in? In the church, in your neighborhood. Every one of us. Listen, if the church is going to accomplish our mission. It's not because Jake and I stand on a platform and, and preach a message. It's because all of us in this room. We are intentional about as we go to make disciples and pour out into others. And fulfill what scripture teaches us to do. And let me just say this, as you think about your life, for those that have discipled you, that have poured into you, I and mean, I would encourage you, send them a text this week and say, thanks for pouring into me. Thanks for the impact you've made in my life to make me walk a little bit closer with Jesus. Third question of application. Who are you going into the world seeking to tell about Jesus. See, part of this is about us inviting people into a relationship with God. Who are you seeking to share Jesus with? Listen, two weeks ago, we gave you guys some some note cards. We asked you to write down three names of people in your circle of influence, people in your life that don't know Jesus. And I asked you to take those names, I asked you to write them down, and I asked you to pray for those names. And I asked you to turn those names back into us. And I'll tell you what, Jake and I, twice, we've prayed for 99 names by name. 99 people we've prayed for by name. The us as a church, this isn't that Pastor Kevin and Jake would go and, and tell them about Jesus. We're praying that God would give each of us in this room this opportunity for these people in our lives to tell others about the good news of Jesus. listen. Who is it that God is calling you to go into the world seeking, to invite them into a relationship with Jesus? Listen, don't make this difficult. Where is it that God has placed you? In your school, in your work? Do you recognize you are sent there intentionally by God as a missionary, as a missionary to tell others about Jesus? And I'll say this, maybe, maybe for some of you, Maybe the Lord is putting a call into your life that, like those disciples, maybe God's calling you to go across the world as a missionary, part of that global mission to disciple all nations. That's beautiful. God's put that in your heart and life. Let's let's celebrate that. Let's pray for that. But let's recognize disciple making isn't just that, it's also right here in our city, in our neighborhoods, in our schools in our work, in our church. And I love our church. I love what God has given us right here. It is a beautiful thing. But I don't want us to be distracted. I don't want us to be focusing on things that aren't the main mission. Listen, the church exists to make disciples. I'll tell you what I'll be honest how I need that I need people in my life continually pointing me to Jesus to say hey Kevin you know that little rough area you know that wart that we talked about earlier that struggle that doubt I need people to point me back to Jesus you need people to point you back to Jesus you know who God's called to do that Look around. Look around.